0: legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas.
1: From Café
2: Vermilionville in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with creative business consultant Aileen Bennett. It's business Acadiana style.
3: Hi, I'm Aileen Bennett. Welcome to Out to Lunch. When we talk about somebody being in business, our underlying assumption is that they're in business to make a profit for themselves. That assumption does not always hold true. Admittedly, exceptions are rare and that's what makes them all the more remarkable. It would be hard to find a more remarkable exception than Kim James Boudreaux. Kim is the Executive Director of Catholic Services in Lafayette. Catholic Services provide a wide range of community help including serving over 100,000 free meals a year at St Joseph's Diner. Providing shelter for homeless or struggling men, women, and children, and along with many other community initiatives, continue to provide assistance to those still struggling to rebuild after the floods. Kim has worked with other needy communities, including time spent in Mother Teresa's Order in Calcutta, India. Kim, it's truly an honour and a pleasure to welcome you to Out to Lunch. Thank you, Eileen. Joe Zanko is the Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer of Home Bank. That doesn't sound like the kind of job that typically lends itself to big-hearted largesse. In Joe's case, however, it does. Joe is the recipient of the American Institute of CPA's 2016 Public Service Award, quote, for the selflessness he has shown in supporting his community. In 2017, Junior Achievement of Acadiana named Joe Business Person of the Year for both his professional accomplishments and his commitment to community. Joe is the founder of an organization called Lead the Change Now, which is focused on inspiring and investing in servant leadership. And he's part of a prison ministry in which he teaches business using Bible verses. Joe, you are an inspiration.
2: Thank you, Eileen. I'm so happy to be here today.
3: Kim, you run St. Joseph Steiner 364 days a year. You run the Stella Maris facility for homeless folks, the Monsieur Cygnus Centre for people in financial crisis, the New Life Centre Emergency Residence for Women and Children in Opelousas, the St Joseph Centre for Men, the St Michael Centre for Veterans and on top of that you've added the Catholic Charities Disaster Response. I can only imagine that the annual budget for all of that is significant and that as well as managing all these enterprises some of your time must be spent raising money to operate them. It's one thing to have a big heart and want to help people, but what you are doing to make that happen is that you're running a range of diverse and unrelated businesses, from a financial consultancy to a diner. Most CEOs would be daunted by the prospect of running all these businesses simultaneously. You didn't go to business school. How do you lead this organization so successfully?
1: Well when you read all the things that we're doing it makes me kind of take a step back and and um, and and kind of scratch my head but you know I I pursued this life because I felt called to a life of service and a life of um, you know committed to people to people that were suffering um, in our community and um, and I've been grateful to have the opportunity to be mentored by great professionals that have great careers that they have um, shared with me over the um, the course of my time with Catholic Services and in, in particular in the early years I was mentored by uh, a man named Bill Charbonnet who had a kind of was semi-retired and um, and really helped foster a lot of my um, you know appreciation for running the nonprofit like a business and um, and really how do we sustain our programs I've always been a believer that when you're doing great programs and and offering great services for the right reason doing the right thing that the the resources to be able to sustain those programs they just They come with a lot of hard work and dedication. Yes, yes, it does take a lot of hard work. But a lot of times, when you're doing the right work and and you're helping people in need, God provides. And and you know, and I I've seen that over the years. That I've been baffled when we opened up the hygiene center uh, back in 2009. Um, You know, I was looking at how do I put showers in my office, and um, because people living on the streets needed a place to take a shower or wash their clothes. And um, how do I come up with the money to build a hygiene center in my office? And, um, and, you know, just it was God provided. And, you know, we knocked on every door that we knew how to knock on and told our story of, of the need that existed in our community. And, and people showed up and they supported the work that we were doing. So um, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's a ministry and it's something that I feel called to and, and have been blessed with over the years. Joe, you're a CPA and the CFO of a bank.
3: You have a family. You have all the same demands on your time that everybody with kids and a career has. Most of us barely have time to take care of our work and personal obligations. We tell ourselves that if we can manage a date night or a quiet unscheduled afternoon once in a while, we're doing great. You, on the other hand, managed to find time to minister to prisoners, to volunteer in the community, and to manage your own inspirational congregation on top of your career. I imagine you're going to tell me if you want to do something badly enough, you'll find time to do it, which is true, but it would be very useful for all of us if you could explain how exactly you managed to find the time to fit all this in?
2: Well, I'll start with my work life, first of all. I am blessed at Home Bank to be surrounded with six individuals who report to me who are exceptional at what they do. So they take care of their business, and that frees me up to be able to do my job well. And so my, my obligations at the bank uh, are, are not so burdensome that I don't have time to... I have energy when I get home from the office, let's put it that way because of the the exceptional work being done around me. That's where it starts. And then as it relates to whether it be the prison ministry work or the work that we do through Lead the Change Now, I think God has blessed each of us with certain skills and talents. And we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses. I think when you thread the needle is when you align your strengths with, uh, with your actions. And for me, the work that we're doing with Lead the Change Now, the work that we're doing in prison ministry, it aligns well with my strengths. So as a result of me doing those things, it doesn't take my energy away. It actually provides me with more. So that, that's ultimately how I'm able to balance my my work and my, uh, my community life.
3: Tell me about having a call-in, which I, I believe both of you respond to. How how does that happen? How, how do you know it's a call-in and not just something you feel like doing? How do you know it's in, aligned with a, a bigger power?
1: Tell me how
3: you know it's a call-in.
1: My journey's a little kind of off the beaten path in that um, I was you know, in college at UL, or it was USL at the time, if I'm going to date myself, and um, and I was working full-time, and uh, I had bought a house at 20, and in the St. Streets in Lafayette. So and you were
3: on, on target for this, you were working as a, a land... I was
1: working as a landman.
3: A landman, and you had money and a house, Yes. And you were on t- to live a very
1: comfortable life and to have a secular career and um and I bought this house it was a fixer-upper and I spent a couple of months fixing up the house and uh the day that I moved into my house the movers came and delivered my furniture and and the minute that they left my driveway I was standing in my doorway and I felt a very distinct calling to sell everything that I owned and to live a life of service and And I can't say where it came from. I can't. It was not a voice. It was like a feeling that I needed to sell everything and live a life of poverty and service. And I didn't know what that meant. And it was um, I didn't didn't know you know when I didn't. But it was very distinct. Did you brush it aside for a while and try and ignore it? Oh, absolutely. And it was a sense of um, restlessness that um, I lived with for probably six months with this uh, I lost a sense of peace and it was this nagging of I needed to respond to this and I didn't know how I didn't really know poor people and um, I loved my house and I loved a comfortable you know bed and you know air conditioning and and so it I went on a um, short-term mission trip I was introduced to a mission group um, out of Abbeville and I went on a two-week trip to Mexico and literally when I Cross the border into Mexico, I was overwhelmed with a sense of peace that um, that was undeniable. That that was where I was supposed to be, and um, and so just over the next you know six months, eight months, I came home and began the process of putting my house up for sale and telling my family what I had decided uh, to do. And and I didn't know how long. Um, you just knew that that I was just the knew next step. That was the next step, and and I think it was in the saying yes, and um, the stepping out into that uh, that leap of faith that began my journey, and um, that was in about 1997, and. Um, and I've been on that journey since. And you've been and saying yes ever yeah. since. Yeah. Joe, how did this happen for you?
3: you were a very logical guy. you were a CPA. So was this a very logical decision, or was this a call-in or an inner voice or just something you had to do?
2: Well, uh, I'll date back to my childhood. My, my life as a child was a train wreck because my dad was a train wreck. He was a child abuse victim. He was a Vietnam veteran who experienced PTSD, something terrible. His life was go to work during the day and hit a bottle at night every night and then he had a transformation experience when I was about 15 years old where he gave his life to God. And I saw the incredible, incredible uh, transformation that occurred when when he changed his life and gave himself up for a higher calling. Uh, I resisted that for a long time because I was about to go through my teenage and college years, and the last thing I wanted was God putting restrictions on things I might want to do. And so I started my career, and it it took me getting uh, kicked about the face and head a couple of times. I lost my job. I lost my girl. And I was finally able to listen to him. At 24, I realized uh, perhaps this power that my dad had tapped into was something that I I needed to listen. And and I began slowly learning more and, uh, and slowly giving more in my time and my philosophies to uh, the teachings of the, of the New Testament. And they haven't steered me wrong yet. And I, you know, there's a pastor that I listen to out of Chicago named Bill Hybels who says, you got to adopt the life verse. And I, my, my life verse is probably Matthew twenty twenty eight, And it doesn't mean that I, I live it out every day, but I try to live it more and more. And it's, uh, for, the Lord, for the Lord sent the Son of Man not to be served, but to serve. Guess why you're here? And I, I challenge myself with that frequently. I have the selfish gene just as much as everybody, so I have to challenge myself daily. But I have found that the more I give myself away, the, the more enjoyable my life is. And so there's a selfishness to it, quite frankly. I mean, I, I just have the more I give myself to God and, and follow His calling for me, uh, the more peace that comes into my life, the more joy that comes into my life.
3: You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Aileen Bennett. I'm talking with Joe Zanko from Home Bank and Kim James Boudreau from Catholic Services. How does this affect your business decisions? Is is God kind of does he almost sit on your board as kind of a, another person? Is it? Do you, you, know, you know what I'm asking? Does it just, is it so much part of your life that every decision is made through this business decisions and life decisions or are they the
1: same thing? So, in, in my experience, that the best decisions that I make are those that are made in prayer um, and those that I involve God in. And a lot of times when um, I'm making decisions that I'm not seeking, God's direction through prayer. Um, I, I can kind of get off the and I, and I um, you know, I'm kind of a risk taker and I and I am a visionary and so I come up with a lot of ideas and so I can um, easily get distracted and, and going into different directions if I'm not um, relying on my faith and my prayer life in decision making. And also, you know, something that was said to me um, by my father a long time ago was, "You're never so close to the heart of God than you are with." when you're with people that are suffering. And oftentimes I've hear, I've heard God's voice and God's direction most clearest when I'm with the poor, I'm with the homeless, or I'm with someone that's suffering. Um, there's something about that experience um, that God's presence and God speaks clearly um, in times that I'm, I'm with them. And so, and I have to remind myself that, um, and, I, and I intentionally try to spend time, like in the diner eating lunch and visiting with the people that we serve, and um, and it never fails that every time that I do that, um, I can see and hear the you know the voice of God through them. So. Joe, you obviously have a pretty powerful
3: business brain, and I know that you also have a prison ministry in which you tr- teach finance, but you do that using Bible verses explain.
2: As a CPA and a banker, what I've come to learn is that people's financial mistakes that we make in this country aren't a result of not knowing the math. It's not a a brain thing. It's a heart thing. So what I do for the guys in the prison ministry is I simply contrast what culture tells them versus what the Bible tells them. Uh, For instance, the income side is really, really important. We know that these guys, if when they get out of prison, they find a job and a church home they've got a real chance of success. If one of those things is missing, they're in trouble. And we know that today in our society, for better or worse, these guys can get out and government will put a roof over their head, they'll feed them, Uh, but if they sit idle, just like any of us, they're going to make poor decisions. So what I encourage folks to do, whether it be my children or, or college students that I have an opportunity to mentor, is the guy next to you is probably not giving his best how about you just give your best and see what happens because 100% of you is better than 60% of him even if he's smarter or more connected. And so that's what I encourage the prisoners to do is, guys, when you get out of here, outwork the guy next to you and let's just see where things fall.
3: Kim, I know that you originally decided that you know the poor were in other countries and that you felt you're calling. I know that you spent a year in Calcutta at Mother Teresa's ministry.
1: Um, what made you come back here okay, so besides my mom <laughs> so from the beginning my family had a hard time accepting um me leaving the country and um and living in third world countries especially when um i decided to uh, i was inspired by mother teresa's uh funeral on tv i saw in 1997 her funeral and uh, was inspired by her work and um a few months later bought a one-way ticket to Calcutta like you do do. (laughs) two weeks later I was landed in in Calcutta and um, we know how this story ends I got very sick and um, and you know, some people were surprised. I was proud of myself that I'd made it a year. Oh, I thought you were going to say it. I was proud of myself. I was proud of myself. I'd made it a year. And, um, I'd seen many people around me fall and I was still going. And, um, but I, I did get sick from, um, you know, from whatever, from the environment that I was in, um, and came home, um, quite ill. And, uh, I was hospitalized for some time after I came home, and my mom thought, well, certainly she'll stay home and there's poor people in Lafayette. And um, I'd already booked another ticket to go to um, northern Thailand at that time. and so um, so I continued my missions work for another three years after that and um, eventually returned to Lafayette after September 11th. Two thousand and
3: one, when it was more difficult to be an American in <laughs> yes. other
1: countries. I was in an Islamic, I was in Malaysia, which is an Islamic country, and um, and I was by myself there. Um, so I came home after that, and um, and my mom kept saying, "But there's poor people, poor people in Lafayette. Why can't you just stay here and help?" And them? And in your head, you were
3: like, "Yeah, but they're poor, but not not the kind of poor yeah. that I'm yeah. meant to help." Yeah,
1: and um, so that was a kind of pivotal time in my life. Was I thought that my life was at that point. Um, Going to be spent in third world countries, that I'd come to accept and, and enjoy and, and love the work of foreign missions, and um, I thought that was my my path. And the idea of American poverty um, didn't resonate with me, and I didn't think, you know, in my young, arrogant mind, that they were worth my time. Yeah, you um, don't know what
3: poor is. You, you don't
1: know yeah. what poor is, and the kind of poverty that I was serving was of a different nature, and. Um, and so I spent time in prayer, you know, God, where am I supposed to go back to? You know, where am I supposed to go next? And, um, and I kept hearing, and through prayer, go, go to St. Joseph's Diner. And I kept thinking, they're not worth my time. I'm so arrogant, so arrogant. And so I just, you know, I didn't go, and, and I just kept praying. And over several weeks, I just kept hearing, go to St. Joseph's Diner. And I think one morning I woke up, and I was praying, and I felt that in prayer. And I said out loud, it's just not worth my time.
3: No, no. I, I was as I can. Was God getting more and more like agitated? Yeah, like, he was. I'm, I'm telling you this. I've yeah, told you this before.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So God gets agitated. He's also a pest with me. Um, if I don't get it the first time, he, 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 he can, he can pester me. And, um, and that was another pivotal moment that day when I said those words. It was like I heard God saying, "You're saying I'm not worth your time. I've called you to a life of service." And it's not up to you to decide who's worth your time. I'm just as present in the poor in America as I was in Calcutta, and I'm just as present here. And I'm calling you to a life of service. And and it it was a humbling moment. It was a it put me in my place and um, challenged my thoughts of my own you know servant leadership. And um, so I, I went to the diner, and that day changed my life. Um, I saw poverty in America in a much different way, um, from a spiritual context, and then also understanding the mental illness that existed in our community, um, and the causes of homelessness. Rather than serving in the kitchen at the diner, I sat in the dining room and had lunch with the people that were eating there. And And that's always heard a powerful stories. experience. Yeah, it was, and so I've been there since 2001. Still saying, God, you know, just let me know where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> I think He might have let you know. I- I have to ask this, you two are both
3: obviously incredibly intelligent, you've got great business brains and you're called for this servant leadership role. If we sit here long enough today, can we solve poverty in our community?
2: I don't think the world ever has, so I would suspect that you know, as you, as you look at U.S. politics and how ugly it's gotten, you know, if, if you're a Republican, you hate everything the Democrats have to say. If you're a Democrat, you hate everything the Republicans have to say. The problem with any best laid plan is that people don't all follow your plan to the T. So you, we, we uh, if your goal is to eradicate something completely, you're going to end your life in frustration. Uh, and, and the good thing is, is certainly with people like you is, is we're only here for so long and you may not be able to eradicate everything but doggone it if you don't show up that one person's not going to get help so when i look up, look on my ministry is i know i'm not going to solve all of these nation, all of this nation's problems but you know what there might be one prisoner who because i showed up today changes his life and uh through the work that we do with lead the change now if there's one person out there Who's far from God, that we can we can pull in and get moved in the right in the right direction, then it was worth the time and the investment in it.
3: And your work with Lead the Change Now, one of the things you talk about is pointing the finger back to ourselves.
2: Yeah, yeah, and you know again, when you when you go when you look at politics in our country today, it's so much easier to tell you to change than for me to actually look in the mirror and seek to change myself. And and that's unfortunately what humankind does is, is we we're really good at identifying the ways that other folks need to change. We're not so good at identifying the reasons we need to change. So, so the focus of lead the Change now, first and foremost, is on personal responsibility. I happen to believe there's a lack of it in our country today, and we need more of it. And, and the second component is serving others. And if we'll step up and, and, and take care of our own business and then seek to serve others, I think that moves the ship that is the U.S. The US nation back in the right direction, a direction towards God.
3: Kim, do you think if we sat here long enough today we could
1: eradicate poverty in, in our community? So or
3: at least come up with the plan too.
1: So I think we have a lot of great ideas about, you know, poverty programs and, and there's no shortage of ideas for programs. But I think that fundamentally for me it goes down to what exactly is poverty? Is it material poverty or is it spiritual poverty? And and through my experiences um, in being immersed in poverty for over twenty years now. I've learned that I'm just as poor, um, in many ways, as a homeless person is. Um, It's just my poverty is in different areas. And so, you know, in in reflecting upon you know God coming, uh, sending His Son to live amongst us, and that He was born homeless, He lived, you know, and He cared for those that were poor, and He said, "Poor would always be amongst us." Like, what's that all about? And and, and for me, it's it's a, it's it's about the accompaniment with people that suffer, and sharing the journey with somebody that um, maybe doesn't have anyone, um, and and it's a life-giving for both. And oftentimes, I feel that like I have benefited many times greater than those that I serve from a material standpoint, and. Um, and so it goes back to like how do I how do I view poverty? And I don't always see material poverty as being um, poor because they're rich in many ways that I that I suffer from in poverty. So.
3: Many of us, especially at the holidays or after a disaster, think about how fortunate we are and tell ourselves that we're going to do something to give back. For most of us, that amounts to little more than a good intention and maybe a donation. Some of us will actually get up off the couch and go and do something. But very few of us, and I mean very few, commit the amount of time, energy and genuine love that you find in yourselves to give Kim and Joe. You're an inspiration to those of us that have been lucky enough to meet you or been helped directly by you. But beyond your immediate circle, the benefit of your selfless good works is felt by everybody in the community. On behalf of all of us, thank you for everything you do. Thank you for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Kim James Boudreaux, Executive Director of Catholic Services, and Joe Zenko, Executive Vice President and CFO of Home Bank. You can find out more about Kim and Joe's extraordinary contributions to our community by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Morel. Our researcher is Anne Christian. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. These photos were taken by Lucius A. Fontenot. You can find out more about Lucius at lafphoto.com. You can get this show and past shows as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Aileen Bennett. Thanks for joining me today. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Café Vermilionville for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch.
0: Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Cafe Vermilionville in Lafayette. Cafe Vermilionville is open Monday to Friday for lunch and six nights a week for dinner with a courtyard that sets the scene for fine Louisiana cuisine. The Out to Lunch Acadiana theme music Encore Monsieur Nice Guy is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Out to Lunch Acadiana Business Consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escaday. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937, with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. And by Sheward & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Collie Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette is a pet and family-friendly hotel with reception space for large and intimate events, free parking, free wi-fi, and a free shuttle within three miles that includes the airport and downtown restaurants.